Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westman demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley Allen Poe. Today, we are talking a movie from 2022, a Netflix original, Christian Bale, Harry Melling, The Pale Blue Eye. An origin story for one Edgar A. Perry. Edgar A. Perry. So I did kind of a deep dive on Poe's life. Was he involved in some weird thing where a student perished or a cadet perished? No, nothing like that. So this is historical fiction, and but I learned that during his time in the Army and subsequently the, the Academy, he was enlisted as Edgar A. Perry. But that doesn't work when you're like, this is a person we know, and this is the tale of his tale of twisted hearts and stuff. Telltale hearts? Yeah. Wait, so I don't understand. Was Poe a pen name? Uh, no, Poe was his name, but he enlisted in as Perry, presumably to avoid a lot of debt. It was pretty tragic. Like, his whole story is a weird, anomalous tragedy. And he died young, and he was, like, severely into alcohol and stuff. And he was orphaned at, like, 12. His parents, his dad left, and then mom died of, like, TB. And then he, like, got crazy. He tried to get out of his debts, like school debts or whatever, by by gambling. And was ridiculously mired in thousands of dollars. Thousands in the 1820s and then went to uh in in the army and tried to escape his debt oh he was already escaping debtors yep by enrolling in west point right well our army and then he asked to go to west point which i don't think they explicitly Ooh. named it's clear it was west point and i think that part of it is where it was filmed but it was only called the military academy right yeah i mean west point is the oldest military academy and maybe at the time it yeah it didn't have the the its moniker but I mean, given that he wasn't embroiled in some weird controversy or something where it spawned his fascination for true crime, it could have been anybody. It really could have. And that was a that was an issue for me. It was, in my opinion, kind of a cheap way of adding some recognition or historical weight to this. The Poe character could have been anybody. I guess they did draw from they did draw some inspiration from his poetry. And, you know, the, the character itself himself was obviously a poet and that played into his storyline. But it really didn't have to be Edgar Allan Poe. There were hearts in it uh, and birds they think they were birds right it wasn't too cold there were birds flying around maybe apparently poe is regarded as the father of the modern murder mystery tales of the rue morgue and things those that was like 50 years before any sherlock holmes stories and so thematically i guess some of his work ties in or it's at least poe flavored <laughs> right poe i mean flavored there are definitely hearts and stuff 
And so I think that that kind of vibe was meant to inform this. I expected a deeply gothic mystery, like in the realm of like the Jack the Ripper. Uh, what was the Johnny Depp Jack the Ripper movie uh, from hell? I, I thought it was there was going to be madness and stylistic stuff happening and mist and gaslights and things and gaslighting. I mean, this was a pretty straightforward murder mystery. And, and as much as Doyle was an occultist of sorts, he believed in all the woo and all the crap. Sherlock Holmes never lapsed into outright supernatural, supernatural elements. Yeah, it was always explained. And when I, I thought this one uh, was going to go into occult territory, I was like firmly, I was against it. Murder mysteries are not allowed to rely on the laziness of, oh, it's supernatural. Agreed. And that was so important to Sherlock Holmes' character, who was the supreme rationalist, right? Who always could reason his way through any mystery. And it was always the, I guess you can call it, laziness of his clients that would lapse into supernatural territory. Like, I'm haunted by a ghost or there's a... You know, demon dog after me and all that kind of stuff. And But it kept him in business. He, he needed those dummies. <laughs> right. And the Sherlock comparisons certainly weren't lost on me in the, in the Augustus Lander character. But it was what was concerning with for me about the mystery wasn't that it was going to veer into supernatural territory, but rather that the mystery was solved. He had identified the Marquis family really early on. And then there was the occult connection with the painting remember he looked in that one dude's book yeah and then he saw that kind of what kind of cross is that the one with the flared edges yeah i don't know it's like a oc choppers kind of cross (laughs) i think it has like roman origins or something but he saw the cross in the book and then he saw the cross in the painting of the ancestor in the marquis house and yada yada so i thought okay now that that mystery is solved what are we doing with the next 30 or 40 minutes of the film which, of course, was reserved for the denouement with Landor. We had so many Marquis family members. They kept introducing them. Like all <laughs> like mid, it was midway through. And I was like, who's this chick on the piano? And I thought it was just going to be, you know, just something that would tie Poe emotionally. So he would suffer severe romantic trauma that would lend, lead him to this dark place in his writing and stuff. And he was, you know, she was a kindred goth spirit. And I was like, oh, man, this she is obviously meant for him, right? Right. So I I saw a headline before I saw this movie that said, The Pale Blue Eye is a movie you have to watch carefully. And I was like, okay, it's a built-in watcher. Murder mystery. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to be the one to solve it. And just give it to me. And I want to be satisfied. But there's obviously going to be a twist. And it can't be straightforward. Otherwise, there's no mystery to the murder. So I was trying to watch. And then I kind of just like let it go. And just like, all right, I figure they'll tell me eventually. And I didn't see the twist coming necessarily. Although in retrospect, when they flash back to Landor washing his hands and stuff, I probably should have known on some level. Mm. And when he's haunted by the ghost of his daughter. But it kind of, it was a little bit of a cheat. It was a little bit of a scream kind of reveal where it couldn't possibly be this person because that person has a solid alibi. Well, maybe there's more than one, you know, kind of thing. That's um, (laughs) a... Well, it was in terms of character de- development, we had pretty few suspects, right? It was either Poe, Landor, or one of the Mark, one or many of the Marquises. Right. Being different shades of bad. But I was worried that we needed to be familiar with more of Poe's writing. Be like, oh, the clues were in front of you before you even saw the movie. 
you know? And so I was worried it was going to be a little bit too erudite in that respect. I wasn't going to be able to rely on just a fun movie experience. I saw the twist coming as soon as I realized that the mystery was pretty much solved. And yet we still had heavyweight Christian Bale, you know, who was underutilized up until that point. You knew that Christian Bale had to play a larger, more impactful role. Yeah, that's what I lapsed into. I, I was like, I suspect the famous people. If uh, if Julian <laughs> Anderson comes along and she's just she has one crazy uh, one off thing, I was like, she's going to turn up again. Right. This is the beauty of the casting of Barbarian. Or I guess you could say counter type casting. Exactly. And Harry Melling is the bad guy in the old guard. And he was Dudley Dursley and he was murder all the time. Like, I don't know. He's he couldn't not be bad. And yet he wasn't. Well, I mean, he's post, so he's kind of bad. But he wasn't a murderer. But I, I saw developing. I was trying to figure out what this reminded me of. And I think I came up with the Hannibal Lecter thing. Kind of as a side character, Poe was almost like a too intellectual Hannibal Lecter type character. Where he was like, pay particular interest to so-and-so. You know, like the, the person. <laughs> and, so, and so dutifully, uh, Landor went and, and, and interrogated him. But I thought he was going to yeah. provide poetic clues and literary references that was going to guide him through his poetic Poetic. or like a a Sherlock Holmes kind of wanting to avoid the spotlight and so going to Lestrade and and telling him you know sheriff or constable or whatever this is who you should be looking at and you take all the credit yeah the maybe that dynamic was underutilized although it sounds like it was Landor's plan all along for for him to what was it quote reveal it was my plan to reveal myself to you yeah. or to remand myself to you or something like that for poe to i don't know um to be the judge i'm not really sure you know what landor's plan was after the reveal but if landor was so kind of calculated and far-sighted he saw this through to its conclusion why was landor surprised when the heads of school from west point approach him to solve the murder right so let's just talk the narrative through chronologically here landor baits the first victim with a note he meets him in the forest in the night he kills him and then completely randomly and coincidentally the marquis family finds the hanged man and cuts out his heart and then the school calls on the cottager landor who's nearby-ish and who has a history with the school to come and solve this murder case and so he, is he surprised to be called upon which would seem out of character for landor or was he simply surprised that the victim's body was mutilated i think it was both all of this sprung from the most random chance occurrence the likelihood of which is just astronomically minuscule as far as i can tell he killed a dude and ran away and then the next day West Point came to him and he thought he was busted. And they were like, we want you to investigate. And after he (laughs) killed a dude and before anyone else came along, a, a person of authority, other murderers came or presumably murderers, maybe they weren't going to murder Poe because they were just bleeding him. And he's like, oh, he lost a very small amount of blood. What a doctor would let or whatever. But it looked like they were killing him and she was obviously crazy face. And But they... They weren't, so they were occultist desecrators, but they weren't murderers. In fact, they were 
all up on about the fact that they didn't murder anybody. They were murderers as far as I was concerned. It's very fortuitous that then the not murder desecrators would come across a freshly murdered body to desecrate. <laughs> and that's pretty thin. And the idea that he, that the murderer would then be thrust into the mystery to uncover the other murderers without being, you know, discovered himself or whatever. That and not just like a randomly murdered person, but like a specifically hanged person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're getting really specific here. Oddly hanged. They're getting right. And so the fact that the first heart was like precision removed, does that put the blame on Dr. Marquis? I mean, I would have thought it would have put suspicion on him. I thought for sure he was the one who I could identify it. Wouldn't it be crazy because he's the person who would have access to, you know, he would be able to, he's the one doing the autopsy. I've long thought that an autopsy or, or a, a coroner would be a good person for a murder suspect. I don't even know if that's happened. I'm sure it has. But he is beyond suspicion because he will give the medical report that would be damning evidence against potential suspects. And if he did it, he can falsify it or he can say, no, no, this cut is different. It was done in haste and it was not the same person. You know, he can justify all that stuff. So in the end, the heads of school notify Landor that Dr. Marquis had tendered his resignation. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, you'd be happy to know that he resigned. He's like, oh, and then Landor's like, I'm not happy about anything. So does that mean that Dr. Marquis was not implicated in the murders? No. He just, they got off. He didn't know. He knew his family was weird. Yeah. He, so did he, but he didn't know that they were removing people's hearts? Yeah, potentially murderers, definitely criminals. He knew that they were doing it, but he didn't, he didn't get caught. They weren't going to get caught. And he justified it by saying, you know, it's for my daughter's condition and she's not a murderer. But both crazy parents got off with nothing more than the doctor's resignation. I mean, aren't you accomplices? Yes. At that point? All you have to do is get... Jillian Anderson in like an interrogation room and she starts smashing stuff and you know she's crazy. And in, in these times, man, people that crazy and that dramatic would be locked away. Oh, definitely. Okay, so that was confusing to me because I figured, okay, well, now that we know the role that the Marquis family played in the crimes, obviously Dr. Marquis was the one who had uh, conducted the first heart removal surgery. And then we know now that Christian Bale's Landor did the second one, which was all rough, uh, but yes. only to emulate what was done the first time and so that he could pin it on the Marquis family again. So he's double murderer, homicide dude. Yep. So did you find yourself in a moral quandary with the with the ending of the pale blue eye? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, but it was only so far as my care or interest allowed me. Like I wasn't like, oh, revelation. And so I, I was had a strong reaction and thus an emotional reaction to the verdict, not the verdict, but the resolution. But I kind of didn't care. I, it was a little bit confusing to me. So I guess it was fine that they could get off without being accomplices. I mean, even if they weren't technically murderers, the kids, the f whole family committed a ritualistic attempted murder on dinner guests. Like they were, it's not like they were like, okay, excuse us for a moment. And they went to another house and like started preparing to cut out their heart or whatever. She was going to kill him. She was. <sighs> And I don't know what Poe, like, Landor was like, if you'll excuse me now, I'm late for dinner. And then Poe was like, I'm going to be at that dinner, too. Like, it was confusing <laughs> that everyone would be there. Shouldn't he have said we're late for dinner? Right. I, mean, I think it was like an afterthought. And he had to be there because he had to, you know, react badly and see 
what's her nuts is death and stuff. But why? I, I th there was a lot that because I was paying attention initially really closely, a lot that didn't track and threw me off. You're supposed to have a discernible trail to follow, like an ant. And if you don't have those that that trail constantly in front of you, it's chaos. Like how did Landor? He sent Poe the note. Uh, Kelly did pick up on the handwriting being a match. She's like, why is the handwriting the same? And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's probably how they all wrote with Flourish, you know. But uh, she got it. But he was like, meet me at the IA house. Number one, what's an IA house? Are we supposed to know? Number two, why would Landor know to invite Poe to the IA house where he finds the evidence of the ritual with the Deathly Hallows symbol and the tallow candles and stuff? Oh, right. And that ended up being where the murders took place. But how did he know that? Oh, because he invited him before he found the satanic symbols. Right. How did he invite? Why did he invite him there? He invited him coincidentally to the place where it all took place and then found out when he got there. <laughs> That's a good question, because that part of the mystery was still unknown to him. I mean, maybe he just wanted Poe as his, you know, Watson sidekick. His Poe Wow. Like, hey, let's just go check out this potential crime scene. And hey, look. <laughs> Man, you're in luck today. <laughs> in this training course, we're investigating an actual crime scene. Uh, yeah, so the love, what was Leah's deal? Leah Marquis? Poe's love interest? It wasn't, epilepsy wasn't three months to live diagnosis. That's not epilepsy. Wasn't it, what do they call it? Like the falling disease? Yeah, but isn't that epilepsy? Isn't that what she, because she like fell down and he's like, my Leah. And then she was like, I'm all right. Sorry about that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's something that I have to ritualistically, you know, murder to keep at bay, but it's it's all good. Yeah, I think it's one of those pseudo supernatural woo-woo maladies of the 19th century <laughs> where they just like, well, give her some laudanum and then she'll be all right. Right. But but in it's the course of, of modern investigation, was it supposed to be epilepsy? And they're like, I don't know, you're falling. We'll give you three months. It seems like it. And maybe, be, you know, I mean, isn't ep the most dangerous thing about epilepsy the falls? I guess so. I mean, that's the most dangerous thing about the 19th century is probably what's prescribed to you for ambiguous ailments. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not sure what Leah's deal was. Um, I guess, I, you know, we can certainly see what Poe found in Leah. I'm not sure what the other cadets found in Leah. I guess she was just a warm-bodied female that traipsed around the academy in her fancy dresses and stuff. There weren't any other women around, as far as I could tell. Well, Gillian Anderson. But, I mean, in a military academy, likely not. Right. And there was the bar or whatever, and there was the bar maid, but, you know, Landor had already... She was already shacking up with Landor. That was confusing to me first, at first, too. Like, I guess I didn't realize how close his cottage was to the academy, but already, but he obviously had a pre-existing relationship with the barmaid. Right? That's what, what we thought, name? too. I was like, man, he tapped that resource really quickly. Like, he must be charming or whatever. But we thought he totally hopped on the Hogwarts Express to get to school, right? Like, that seemed like it was really far. It did. And then he's like, I got to get home for dinner. And I was like, wait, he's got to go all the way back home? And his wife was long dead, and he's in bed with the chick. Well, she was so familiar with him. In the first conversation, she's like, oh, blah, 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 and like referencing his past. And like, wow, they got intimate really yeah. fast. And I thought definitely he's going to shack up with a crazy, right? She's a person of suspicion. Yeah, she was his kindred spirit, like Leah was Poe's goth cemetery girlfriend. 
But really, it was a bit of a bromance, right? The ending is supposed to be emotional because they like each other, if not love each other in a 19th century sense. And they, and basically, this was the reveal was the rupture of their what was going to be their potential lifelong friendship. Like, I'm going to write epic tales about you and aren't you great company? And, you know, they really had affection for each other. But was it only because we knew, we know who Poe ostensibly was to become, this Poe, that we know we knew he had a literary future and that he was the basis? Or was it just that guy that one time that, that they crossed paths and uh, were never particularly, like, they didn't bond really, did they? He used him for undercover work because he was already an outcast. No, Poe had great effect. I mean, I think it was mutual, right? Poe had great affection for Landor, complimented his company, you know, said he was going to write epic poems about him. And then likewise, Landor's like, you know, I often thought what it would be like if you were my son-in-law. What if my Maddie had met you that night, right? They really, they, they really liked each other. Yeah, it's very good Will Hunting, but, but I, I didn't feel that bond keenly. It was too cold, and they were just like all huddled up and like whispering and stuff. And in their conference, we were supposed to glean some like paternal affection or brotherly affection or something. Yeah, I guess that's true. It was more like they told us that they liked each other rather than they showed us. What I just don't get is why Landor put his ultimate judgment in Poe's hands. Did he trust that Poe would be merciful did he hope that Poe's high moral standard would keep him accountable, would keep Landor accountable for his his misdeeds, you know, the murders? Would he, what, isn't it, if you really have affection for someone, isn't it kind of cruel to put that judgment on their shoulders? I guess I just didn't understand what Landor's endgame was here. He's a legendary detective and didn't want to be forgotten by history. And he could see into the future to recognize Poe's potential and knew that he had to sidle up alongside this dude if he wanted to be remembered. But he was all nihilist and was like, no one's going to remember anything. <laughs> I don't know, man. I was watching closely and I was like, give it to me. And then I was like, all right, just give it to me. There's a tonal difference there. There's yeah. a shift that happened where you just resigned to, all right, I'm, I've invested 100 minutes. I'll just watch the next 20. Yeah, because it, I didn't have the trail, the ant trail to follow. If Poe knew what was happening and goes to confront Landor, goes to reveal his awareness to Landor, why didn't he go armed? How did he know that Landor wouldn't? I mean, that, that must be a testament to their affection that they established. That Landor wasn't going to murder him? Yeah. I mean, twice over, cold-blooded murderer. Yeah, but I guess you'd take some precaution. I mean, we had he's haunted by his daughter and we saw her and she's wiping the rape off her dress and stuff. And it's terrible and Ew. horrible or whatever. But it's like also he's motivated, I guess. I mean, that's just as justifiable as 1800s in the West where like he called me a card sharp and welched a bet and called me a liar so you can shoot him in the street. You know, if if your daughter gets raped, you're I think you're perfectly within your rights to go and kill the dude. In a in 19th century kind of way. <laughs> in this movie. And if you're Christian Bale. And <laughs> if you're Christian Bale. Uh, how about the Robert Duvall and the uh, Charlie Tan cameos? Is he, is that the senator guy? No. Oh, yeah. There was the, the senator guy. He That character actor, Timothy Spall. Yeah, Timothy Spall. Awful lot of actors. Despite being American, this you're set in, in what, Pennsylvania, I think it was? Or no, New York is where West Point is. They were almost all British. And there were like six Harry Potter cast members, including Tim Spall and Harry Milling. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because like early Americans, North Americans were practically British. Yeah. 
and uh, Harry Melling is, as Poe, is, he, he proclaims himself to be an artist and therefore without a country. And I guarantee that that was put in because most of the people who heard the name Edgar Allan Poe would be like, wait, the British guy? Isn't it weird that Poe is from like Pennsylvania? Yeah, he's the great American poet. <laughs> okay, poet. <laughs> was this, how does this match up with Buster Scruggs? Uh, well, it matches up because director Scott Cooper... Uh, saw Harry Melling in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs as the armless, legless, nameless performer under Liam Neeson's wing, I guess. In what vignette? In the Telltale, uh, Telltale Torso. Oh, come what? on. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> the, not, yeah, the meal ticket. Meal ticket. That's what it was. And he had only seen Harry Melling in that role. And we're low-level podcasters over here who have seen multiple movies and can name multiple movies where Harry Melling is a thing. And he had never seen any of the other roles. That's why how Buster Scruggs ties in. The Devil All the Time. Old Guard. Harry Potter. That chess show with Anya Taylor-Joy. Wait, he was actually in The Queen's Gambit with Anya Taylor-Joy? Yeah. Because they've often made comparisons between the two as the extremes of the most narrow eyes and the widest set eyes. <laughs> yeah, they do it in The Queen's Gambit. Ew! And <laughs> I was like, I don't think that the freckles in their eyes match up. I don't think they're corresponding shapes. Was that a postal service reference? Yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Uh, Postal yeah, totally... service. No, we're reaching a little bit. <laughs> um, but the impresario played by Liam Neeson in the in Meal Ticket is like a turn. What? When was that? That had to have been nineteenth century traveling impresario. Yeah, for sure. But I think that was the Wild West. Mental note: Look up impresario, nihilist, Meal... nihilistic. Me... <laughs> Got it. Meal, t meal ticket. Probably 1880, give or take, because they reference characters that were that appeared in True Grit. Wow, this is this is you using other movie knowledge. Yeah, to... off to the movies we shall go, where we learn everything that we know, because the movies teach us mm -hmm. what our parents don't have time to say. And what musical reference is that? And this movie's gonna make our lives complete, because Terrence and Philip are sweet. That's South Park. Oh, South Park. All it says is that. A quadriplegic actor and his drunk dad. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he quadriplegic because he can't move his limbs because they aren't there? <laughs> well, and was Liam Neeson his dad? I don't think so. <laughs> Definitely not his dad. I don't know who wrote this, but they said, uh, Meal Ticket is a quadriplegic actor and his drunk dad, and they seek fame and fortune in the so, Wild so, West. So, so the question is, <laughs> would it be easier to chuck your kid off a bridge? Spoiler. Or to chuck a, a relative stranger, like an employee, off a bridge. Like, because you could see it oh. as an act of mercy if you're the kid's dad, right? Um, but you also don't have the kid in the room while you're boning. No, and, well, he didn't really have much. But the motivation for Liam Neeson was he had found the chicken and Harry Melling had lost his usefulness. Oh, so that's it. not a dad thing to do. No. The pale blue eye. I can't believe you're not going to make some kind of, like, pink eye or butt reference. The pale blue, like the pale brown eye? No. Yeah. It doesn't have, how do butts tie into this movie? I don't know, dude. I don't think all roads lead to butts. How does Top Gun Maverick fit into this movie? Because he was the old, like, battle-worn, but turns out still had some fire in him left professional 
who's taking the young upstart when they have a problematic paternal relationship and letting him fly and eventually he's he comes to into his own um all right so last question and then your review should christian bale have flung himself off the cliff or were you happy for him to have let Maddie go? No, I think he should have flung himself off the cliff. I, I think that he had used had come to the end of his usefulness, meal ticket style. And I don't think it would have mattered. But the tragedy of losing him after Poe forgave him or chose not to, 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 to destroy him, to see him destroy himself would have been appropriately tragic and have given Edgar Allan Poe some inspiration just ahead of his own tragic, somewhat mysterious demise. Yeah, it seemed like morally they had both died their own kinds of death and they were sentenced to live with that for the rest of their life, which was the moral comeuppance in The Pale Blue Eye. Yeah, but uh, director Scott Cooper, who's made a a few good films, uh, this one is sort of in the middle. He and Christian Bale had talked about bringing Harry Melling on board uh, and envisioning him playing this like revisionist history, Edgar Allan Poe continuing Harry Melling in sequels as Poe moves through the world and experiences dark and gothic things. He could have been like a Poe superhero, a Supo hero. I... The, the market is ripe for it. But the pale blue eye is sort of like an underwhelming Batman Begins style Poe origin story. I don't know. It was fine, I guess. I guess I'll give it an above the line with an all right rating, but it was a close thing. It wasn't a sure thing. And it needed to come Mm. to the resolution, which as wonky as it was, in a way redeemed itself enough. I could be like, all right, well, that at least adds a twist that I didn't see coming at all. And it works more effectively because this is a 19th century where the crawdads sing. Where it's like, how much of it is a mystery when the person telling the tale is the one who perpetrated the murder? Mm. Um, but it worked better because that ending kind of devalued or invalidated the story for me. Whereas this one maybe mm. brought it around. So I was like, all right, you pulled a thing on me. All right. I agree it was a little middling because there wasn't any standout piece of filmmaking, right? There's no extraordinary performances from this cast. Even the casting itself, not inspired. Um, you know, the use of Edgar Allan Poe, a bit a bit of a cheat, but a, a serviceable murder mystery. And definitely a, a fine film to receive for quote-unquote free on Netflix. <laughs> sure, I'll join you with a good or an above-the-line rating for The Pale Blue Eye. And that's our discussion on Netflix original The Pale Blue Eye, technically... Uh, 2022 release. If you enjoyed this discussion, please check out 200 plus others at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. And if you have something to say to us, orwhatevermovies at gmail.com, 818-835-0473 is our hotline. You can also connect with us on social media at orwhatevermovies on Instagram. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. 
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.